welcome to Give Him Hell, Brigham. Jeff, should Ohio State sue the Big Ten? If only for chaos's sake, absolutely yes. I've been wanting chaos this entire time. That's what I'm here to cheer for now. And if Ohio State sues the Big Ten, that that's the epitome of chaos. I mean, what is that? That is that is me suing my employer while staying employed. I'm not so upset that I'm leaving my employer, right? I'm not fired from my employer. I'm still employed. I'm still collecting a paycheck. I'm still getting benefits. I'm still part of the team and the strategic direction. And yet on the side, I've got this little lawsuit against my employer. That's what that would be, right? Is that the closest equivalent to real world stuff? I think that's what we can get to. And the attorney general of the state of Ohio is saying that it is a legal possibility. So I know you're fired up about this. Oh, I, this is ridiculous. So one debut. So which first off the Columbus dispatch, you know, I mean, first thing, good headline. David Yost believes Ohio state can sue big 10 over football cancellation. Perfect headline. That's great. Thank you for not adding here's why to the end of it. Cause that is a plague and that is stupid. I don't know why journalists <laughs> think they need to add to here's why, or here's what happened. It's like, no duh. That's why you wrote an article. I expect to find out that information in the reading of the article. Okay, but I digress. I knew that there would be a rant with this. I didn't expect it to be like a journalistic integrity rant, but okay. Well, the journalistic integrity is coming because it's like the third paragraph starts. Yost, a Republican, said he had not yet discussed the filing of potential state court action against the Big Ten. That's so stupid. Like, what does that have to do with the legal? Like, there's either a legal case or there is not. Whether he is a Republican, a Democrat, a member of the American Solidarity Party, which I learned was a thing today, or not, none of that matters. That is all stupid. You know, I, Jeff, you posted a video today by ZDogMD, who today to your Instagram story about being what, what was like alt-middle. The alt-middle, yes. The, yes. You know, I think you and I are both firmly in the alt-middle where we are tired of all the BS and just want people to... Think about things, evaluate them, find the best option, and cut the ideological crap. Okay, what does the, the gray? Fact that this... The gray is where we play. That's kind of become my motto. The gray is where I play. I'm yes. not black. I'm not white. The gray is where I play, right in the yes. middle. Right, one hundred percent. And so the fact that they need to include that Yost, a Republican, that's stupid. Columbus Dispatch, get over yourself. So plus one for doing a decent headline, minus one for turning it into something political. That's the last thing we need is more politicization of anything COVID related, right? So anyway, David Yale says that there is a potential case for it. You know, the article talks about that, you know, they voted 11 to three, whatever. Obviously the Nebraska parents have already sued the Big Ten about canceling. Basically he's saying that there might be a legal case to entertain that the, you know, that the Big Ten did not keep up their end of the bargain of whatever the collective agreement was between Ohio State and the Big Ten. A couple thoughts about this. One, does David Nosey not understand that there is another conference in the state of Ohio <laughs> that has six members, meaning the MAC with the University of Ohio, go Bobcats, the Toledo Rockets, the Akron Zips, the Bowling Green Falcons, the Kent State Golden Flashes, and the Miami of Ohio Redhawks, 
all have are not playing football this year because their conference did the same thing the Big Ten did. So come on, Davios. If you're gonna go in, gotta go in full board. You gotta stand up for all of the public schools in the state of Ohio, or also at least I mean it's kind of ridiculous. The thing didn't the article didn't mention that Cincinnati is still playing, also in Ohio, in case anyone was unaware of that. <laughs> but you know, I just it really shows how in a good spot BYU is and obviously collectively you know when you bargain for things collectively you do gain a lot right there is there are many benefits to being in a conference but those benefits come from those benefits are more realized by the bottom feeders of that like you have when you get into a group it's the top half is going to do carry the bulk of the weight and the bottom half is going to realize more gains we talked about this a bunch of times like you know whatever ohio state is making from the big 10 it's like they're subsidizing the Northwesterns and the Indianas and the Illinois fighting Illini's of the world, right? And it's the same in every conference. So it's collectivization and central planning. Central planning never really works and it. You can never appease everybody. And there's always going to be people that are mad and you always have to, you know, whether people are willing to deal with the things that they feel they're getting the short end of the stick on you know, is obviously always a problem. So that is something where independence has been very good because yes, the schedule is not great. We're looking to add a couple more games, but because BYU isn't independent, we are not sitting at home watching games on TV. I actually tweeted out a very informative chart as I was doing some data prep for this. We can leave a link to it in the comment show, but is a graph showing the number of games BYU has played this year, as well as the number of games our rivals, Utah, Utah State, and Boise State have played this season. And the answer is one to zero for all the other ones. And so that is a direct result of being independent, you know, and I would much rather play Texas state or UTSA than have nothing. And so Ohio state, I understand why they're mad. I understand where they should be. And really I was thinking about this today. Could app state or Boise state go independent. Now we think of independence as, you know, the Boise Dame, kind of is, right? Right. Well, Boise I mean, kind they, of is. They, and so is, they have so their is own Hawaii. TV contract, right? Yeah, so Hawaii. Because they have their own TV contract. So it's, you know, they are kind of independent. But really what I was thinking about is independence is a lot of times people think about like, oh, making it basically, can you throw yourself into a, like the P5 realm? That's like what, kind of what, I mean, that's what BYU was trying to do with independence. And so that's kind of the lens of what we, you know, view it as. But then with the other independents, obviously like UConn, UMass, New Mexico State, Army, and even Liberty is kind of trying to do the same thing. But could like the App States and the Boise, where they are the breadwinners in the conference who are pulling everyone else along, can, you know, if they're at the top end, I don't think, you know, they could probably get more. It's like, could they get more as an independent than they currently get in their own conference? And if they did that, would it improve their situation? Right. And I think what's interesting to think about with that is when we think of independence from the BYU lens, BYU's motives were very different than the motives of what an app state or a Boise state would be, right? BYU wanted exposure and that wasn't exposure for players and it wasn't exposure for fans so that we could, you know, see more, um, you know, see more of our team play. That's a benefit of the exposure, but it was exposure for the church. That was what BYU wanted to do. And so we talk about exposure, and I think as BYU fans, we have a tendency to measure the ability of another program to go independent by how 
how much exposure they could generate. When in reality, I think that's the wrong metric. I think you hit it on the head. Uh, the metric that these teams should be looking at is, okay, we make X today playing in whatever our situation is, whether it's Boise State in the Mountain West, we make X dollars per day. And it really is just a cost benefit analysis, right? Like they have all of their, their costs. They have all of the things that they have to, you know, their costs being the money that they lose by being in the Mountain West Conference, the money that they gain by having their own unique TV contract within the Mountain West Conference, the control that they lose, all of those opportunity costs are part of that cost benefit analysis. And really that's the metric that they need to look at is, okay, if that's X, we make X today as a member of the Mountain West Conference, do we make X plus Y or do we make X minus Y as an independent? It has nothing to do with exposure. It has everything to do with, well, what can we get? If you're Hawaii, can you, well, maybe Hawaii is a bad example because they are so funny and out, you know, on their own literal island, but Boise State, can you get a little bit more money as an independent and play your games on, you know, Facebook or on the, the stadium app? Would they, you know, take a, take a chance and pay you a little bit more money and you go out on your own, you're still going to be able to find teams that are equivalent to the Mountain West. We've talked about the, the, uh, kind of the the bias that we have of thinking that a game against Fresno State is probably a little bit more important or at a higher uh, tier than a game against, say, Tulane. Uh, and in reality, nationally, it's not. Um, so I think the Boise State could still get the games as an independent program. So that's what they have to evaluate. Is all, are all of those opportunity costs of being in a conference is it worth the benefit that you get? I mean, do they get enough for, with ease of scheduling, that collective bargaining power? Do they get enough there that it outweighs what they could potentially make by taking a chance and doing it on their own? It really has nothing to do with exposure, although that's what BYU fans have kind of measured things on. And that's why when we talk about independence, we do have a tendency to talk about, well, yeah, Ohio State could do it, but probably not Northwestern. Well, not Northwestern because they're making a ton of money because of Ohio State, but if Ohio State were to leave and the Big Ten's contract situation is suddenly different and now Northwestern isn't making as much money, then there's a realistic conversation that I think Northwestern could have, right? Right. It has nothing so, to do with exposure. Well, and it's I think a lot of it too is the the New Year six is more of a factor for those other schools because I don't know how many consistent P five games they would be able to get similar to what BYU has in terms of strength of schedule, because it's you know, where BYU doesn't need that money, it's like if you are App State, you know, you're shooting, you want the New Year Six so you can get your big payday, right? And that's obviously Boise State. It's like they want to consistently be in the running for that. And so as long as that is earmarked for the highest G5 champion versus the top ranked non-P5, you know, to where the independents are included in that, then there will always be that strength gravitating towards the P5 conference, towards being in a conference for those lower level schools, especially in app state where their strength of schedule is so low, they can, you know, be NIU or Western Michigan and run the, right. you know, and run through, run through an extremely weak schedule, even 2007 Hawaii run through an extremely weak schedule and find themselves in a new year six bowl and then get absolutely dump trucked. Well, Western right. Michigan actually hung with Wisconsin. Okay. But so when you look at it that way, you know, it just costs some things, but even if we look back, so if, you look back at prior years of, you know, the number of independents that were used to exist. So everyone that was in the Big East, like the Big East was a basketball conference and then took a bunch of independent football programs, added them to their league and started playing football. 
And so that's where, you know, so that is, there are like nine teams. So that collectively is what, like a sixth of the current mm -hmm. P5 schools almost, yeah. you know, a seventh. And then Conference USA, which is now, you know, the majority of those are now the, um, are now the American. Also, those were independent schools until the 90s. So everyone, like Conference USA started by taking Houston, who got left out in the Southwest Conference realignment and didn't get invited to the WAC with Rice and TCU. Those in Ut those schools were all independents, and they were kind of that lesser tier. But if you go back to like the 1990 independent, it's like Florida State, Louisville, Miami, Louisiana Tech, Notre Dame, Penn State, Southern Miss, Syracuse, Temple, Army, Northern Illinois, South Carolina, Virginia Tech, East Carolina, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, Memphis, Navy, Akron, Arkansas State, Boston College, Pitt, Tulane, West Virginia, Rutgers, Tulsa, Cincinnati. What year was that? 1990. All of those teams that's, were independent. Crazy. And let's see, Florida State, Louisville, Miami, Notre Dame, Penn State, all finished the year ranked in the top 15. Yeah, that's wild. So, and if you look before that in the pretty much the same list in 1989, Miami won the national championship. Notre Dame was number two. Penn State was number three, or Florida State was number three. Penn State was 15. Pitt was 17. West Virginia was 21. So all independent, six of the top 25 were independent. Like not to be in the overall history of college football, being in a conference is like that wasn't a big thing. Cause even if you look back at some of those, like the border conference, like all these leagues is they had like six teams and that got you five games and you went and played five more games. Like it wasn't instead of a conference being two thirds or three fourths of your schedule, your conference games, like that was half of your schedule. Right. And then you were going out and playing a bunch of other teams. And so right. for football, it makes sense, especially when you just don't have like the lower volume of games compared to basketball or baseball, it makes sense to have hyper like regional conferences for basketball and baseball and other sports. And then everyone to be an independent and do what you want for football, because it's six times a year you have to travel, not 15. And that is the, that's a perfect segue into what I think is the most interesting angle. As we look at the future of college athletics in a post COVID world, and really a post a lot of different things world, Look at the NBA. Okay, so the next, the next biggest sport, right, obviously, men's basketball. Well, the NBA has the G League now, and the NBA is kind of getting rid of – I mean, it, they're, they're, on, they're really close to getting rid of the one-and-done rule, right, that you have to have, be 20 years old or whatever. And they have an alternative now with the G League that you can go from high school to the G League and make some money – and try the NBA or before you go out and try for the NBA. So it eliminates some of the risk that these college basketball players have. Essentially it's becoming a lot more, or it's becoming closer to what baseball has, right. With all of their minor, minor league organizations and college baseball, while it's super entertaining for those of us who like college baseball, it's not a huge moneymaker. It's not something that's going to drive TV ratings or anything like that. If the NBA continues to dump money into the G League, which they should, and now it drastically changes the really the entire makeup and landscape of what college basketball is, we're now looking at football and everything else. And so it makes sense to keep those separated. Now, I, I wanna, I'm going to distract us for a little bit. I want to go off track. 
Uh, I am. Before we do that, can I just say that it? I was just thinking, Hawaii. Why are you a member of the Mountain West? You have your own TV deal. The rest of your sports are in the Big West. What like? What is Hawaii doing in the Mountain West? Is it just? Is it purely for a? They've possible route to an NY six. No, I think they've got to get money from their away. Like the conference has to compensate them coming into the Mountain West Conference to play six games a year. There has to be something. Well, there. they may be doing that, but Hawaii foots the bill for teams. Tra- they pay more for travel to get teams out there. That is part of their do you agreement think with that, the. Do you think that's still true with the Mountain West Conference, like intra-conference games? It was supposed to be. That was part of their deal. Was them covering some expenses for well, teams going out there. Like it, uh, yeah, they should because be, they're never going to go to a, a New Year's Six game. I don't, I don't care what they think. That ship has sailed. Right. Well, and they could get better games. They if they had more open spots on their schedule, they could get P five teams to go to Hawaii and say that is interesting. Like, they could probably get some a decent number of one and ones, or maybe even like a one and done of. Hey, in September, like everybody, we're going to Hawaii. Come on, your summer vacation. Uh-huh. And let's go play in the Loja Stadium. They could market themselves uh, to get P5 teams out there. Interesting. I don't know why. That's a really good question. I've never uh, thought about yeah. it because in my head they kind of don't exist. But it's a good question. After what I was going to say. Eve, they may not. They don't exist to me anymore either. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, what I was going to say, and it is a tangent, and nobody, nobody likes fantasy football guy. But I am doing a fantasy football draft as we speak. Well, it starts in eight minutes and 45 seconds. Uh, league that I've been in with my high school friends for, you know, forever. Uh, I'm back to back to back champ right now. I think it's been three years in a row. So essentially, Steve Bartle just Venmos me his money, and it's just kind of a Christmas bonus for me every year. The draft is about to start. I just got the number one pick. Uh, random assortment, you know, a random uh, random order draft, but I got the number one pick. So it's got to be Christian McCaffrey, right? I mean, there's no other question. Um, you could trade it to the Cardinals like the Texans traded DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could trade it to the Cardinals. So as we go throughout our agenda today, I am going to be mingling in some fantasy football talk just because that's where my mind is at. And this is this is what you get when it's a bye week. And yeah. We just beat the living crap out of Navy, 55-3. Right. I mean, and it's a little bit, I think, uh, I, I think it's a really good illustration of what you have to deal with on a week-to-week basis. We have, uh, people wouldn't believe this, we have a really detailed agenda just about every week. Sometimes there's more details than others, but it, you know, it, it, it's, it's spelled out what we're going to talk about. We kind of build in some transitions so that things make sense a little bit. And I just totally derail everything. So this is a very transparent view into the, into what Garrett has to deal with as the, both the producer and a host of this show. It's a challenge. All I have to do is show up. I sit in a chair. I usually have a can of soda, and I just talk about whatever comes into my head. And Garrett tries to keep us going in a forward direction, and I don't envy that job. And everybody gets to see how hard it is for you this week. And I feel like that is something that we should do after people were giving you such a hard time uh, last time. So, You know, I do. I feel like I owe our fans, our faithful listeners, 
I should have had the PR firm write a better, you know, fake apology for this. So, you know, <laughs> that my actions were not becoming of a host of an esteemed niche podcast. And I regret the things that were made. I, the, that should be a thing. We should have a sports apology Mad Libs thing. We should put that together and then have people fill that out and see what the best replies we get are. It, dude, I bet you we could get some that uh that are pretty close speaking of things that are unbecoming of people who are in a role can we talk about a tweet this morning from dennis dodd dennis dodd he's a cbs sports guy 24 7 is nobody nobody reads cbs sports like uh, like 24 7 is the only thing that people care about and part of the whole cbs sports thing like the mountain west cbs sports is now your headliner of your contract Nobody cares about that. Like yeah. CBS, you have like, well, CBS sports factual coverage. Like, okay, you have the SEC on CBS, you have NFL, whatever. Like you have live content, whatever, but like CBS sports, the network itself, garbage, like their actual coverage of national writers for anything horrible. It's like, true. 24 seven is the only good part of the CBS package. It, it makes me feel a little bit bad because CBS sports, uh, like their technology, their apps, I think are really good. I mean, and I say that as a 24-7 guy who, if there's one complaint I have about 24-7, it's that our technology is, you know, 15 years old. But CBS Sports, as far as, as far as interacting with the app and the way that they integrate some of the CBS TV stuff, I think it's really cool. I think, it's, uh, I think it has the potential. But the sports side is bad. And I think that that's fair to say. Now, I know that Dennis Dodd, I, I, I'm, we're going to call him a colleague because I guess technically we all write for CBS Sports, but he's not a colleague. But uh, he had a tweet today in reference to our, uh, well, I think it's sort of in reference to the article. He talked, he, he, he linked an article from cleveland.com and it's the Ohio governor talking about COVID, cancellation of football, things like that. I think it's actually the same press conference that led to that Columbus Dispatch article with David Yost that we just talked about. But Dennis Dodd, the tweet says this, did the Ohio governor just say 13% of the Ohio state athletes who tested positive for COVID had, quote, heart issues, but they were, quote, mild? Good God, these are college athletes. It's really hard for me, I'm not part of like real media. I don't consider myself a journalist. If I did, I wouldn't go to a bank for you know 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week. Don't let it's the mainstream really, media tell you what to think, Jeff. <laughs> well, it's really hard for me as a and it, maybe I'm a media adjacent, a media adjacent guy. I know enough that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to try to walk down the middle. We're supposed to report news, even on opinion pieces you still try to be fair in those opinions dennis dodd is just coming out i i have such a hard time with this he's going a hard full time. dan walken well he is i mean he's just he is openly campaigning for the shutdown of sports right and so when journalists get upset because fans are like well you've been wanting football to be canceled all along and then they're like, why would we want football to be canceled? That's my source of income. That's what I do for a living. Burr, 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 burr. But then you tweet things like this. 
these are college athletes. And it's, you, you talk down to the rest of these people who are playing football. It's shocking. Now, we're going to get into, I think, the science and the details of what's, in, you know, what's behind Dodd's tweet. But I'm mostly irritated with the tweet itself. Like, you're a journalist. Be a journalist. Don't be a – I'm not even mad that you're fear-mongering. I don't care what your opinion is necessarily. But I, I just think it's interesting. I think it's really interesting how people in the media have allowed their personal opinions to direct their coverage so much to the point that what your favorite school chooses to do and how they chose to handle the pandemic is now your opinion. And it's, it's shocking. And they're, it's really weird. And I think Dennis Dodd kind of embodies that today, uh, that he is upset that people are playing football and he's going out of his way and citing the quote science and saying these are college athletes and openly campaigning for sports to be shut down. When in reality, high schools across the country are playing. Every professional league is playing. The science clearly isn't what we think it is. And yet Dodd continues to talk down to really his base, you know, his, his, the, the source of his income isn't college football. The source of his income is his readers and his readers. He's just continuing to talk down to them. And I think it's shocking. I think it's, it's not shocking. It shouldn't be shocking. It happens all the time, but I think it's frustrating. And it, it really embodies what is wrong with media today in general. Right. Like in love him or hate him. That is something that Clay Travis has definitely figured out because he knows oh, yeah. 100% that his leaders are, his readers aren't making money. And he will say whatever gets them Clay Travis. him on so he can, he like, he is a making millions off of being a troll and saying like getting yeah. his readers fire, fired up and saying like, look, Clay Travis is the only one telling the truth. Like he right. built that brand for that, whatever segment of society and Clay, he's making money. Clay Travis, Clay Travis went to law school. Like he's super educated. He's a lawyer. He was a lawyer up until he started OutKick. He volunteered and worked on the Obama campaign. He has voted Democrat in every election ever. Like the guy is an opportunist is what he is. I don't think he believes most of the things he says, but he's found his role within the sports media. And that's what he is. And what I don't understand about the guys like Dodd that are doing kind of the same thing, but on the other side of things, I just don't understand it because they, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand. I don't really understand it with, Clay Travis either, but they they kind of uh, just the, the way that they talk down to people. I don't know. It's frustrating. I can't. I'm, I'm frustrated enough that I can't even put into like coherent words what I'm that upset with. But I gotta go make my first pick. The draft just started, so stand by. It's Christian McCaffrey, everybody. Spoiler alert. So you're going to run CMC. Yeah, he led me to a title last year, so I'm gonna continue to are not, go are you not with in the keeper league. No, no. It's, we started it in high school, and we've never really changed the rules. And when we were 18 years old, we weren't smart enough to know what a keeper league is or how it worked mm -hmm. or anything like that. Okay. Well, I mean, that was an easy first pick. Yeah. Yeah. It was a no-brainer. Did you have to put more thought into this pick than your first pick in the other draft that will heretofore, you know, that's not even one to say heretofore. <laughs> that will be that will be coming forth in the coming days um you know i think we could talk about that draft a little bit I, let's tease it 
Um, I mean, we're only going to offend Jake. And Jake, if you're offended, I'm really sorry that we stole your thunder. We're not going to go through every detail, but we are also, drafting. You have the last pick left because I went out of order. And... Yeah. <laughs> but it's right. fine. So Jake Welch is awesome. He's new to our staff over at Cougar Sports Insider at BYU All Blue on Twitter. He's fantastic. He's creative. He's funny. He really brings everything that you and I have never brought to the site to the site. And I'm really excited about it. One thing that he likes to do is we've been doing drafts. And last this last week we drafted the top hype songs. Um, it was just he and I who did that. And we came up with our roster of five hype songs. And it was fun. I think they're fun, entertaining pieces. And this this week we're drafting our all-time BYU offense. One position or one player at each position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, and then a off an offensive line unit. I don't know, Garrett. How do you think you did? Your team's done. Tell us who your team is and what do you think? So the I really like struggled and it was kind of going with so basically how I approach that is I'm putting together a team for 2020. We didn't clarify that before. So when I came to my first pick, I made that decision for us that it was putting a team as if we we're going to play in 2020 and like in a 2020 style offense. And so that is why, well, I took the combination of Taysom Hill and Luke Staley as my quarterback and my running back, because I said, I want beef and I want speed. Like I want, you know, I want to have, I want to have some fun. And I, thought about speed and I considered taking Ronnie Jenkins who you ended up taking as your I running did. back and I it was you know but I I think if they're both healthy and that was the other thing I said is I want people at their peak you know at their healthiest right and so obviously Taysom was not the best passer in his time but he was also like hurt a lot and didn't have a lot of great receivers around him so I think Taysom obviously is a much better passer and his NFL career shows that you know, the belief and once he, he has talent around him um, to be a much better passer. But even if you look at like that first month in 2014 or against Nebraska in 2015, when Taysom was healthy, like he grew as a passer and was an okay passer. It was just whether there was absolutely anything else going on around him. But I wanted the speed at the quarterback position and I wanted you someone got who could make plays with his legs. And so that's why I wanted Taysom and Luke as the, I wanted the freak factor. Also, maybe the, the two most injury-prone freak factor ever. Right. So that's what I'm saying in the perfect world of – Yeah, no, I, I get it, and I think injury. it's dynamic. But right. I think that the, uh, the the parallels between those two is interesting. They are very similar. And I so I went with them, tight end, I'm Gordon Hudson, uh, wide receiver. Which is, a, which is – I laughed at that pick, not because – I mean, he's a great pick. Gordon Hudson's a legend. But you've got Taysom and Staley and a Gordon Hudson. Like we're pulling, you're going like four eras between those picks there. That is so wildly different. I split the difference with Eric Drage, <laughs> which I mean, you had already obviously like some other receivers are taking it really is weird in, with how many receivers that they're have, like how many passing yards have come through, like how rare a like true number one receiver has been, right? Like there have been very few. It's always been, so many guys, like if you look at the receiving totals, it's, there's three guys who have over, there's only three players with over 3,000 yards receiving. And then you have a ton of guys with like 2,200 yards. It's like you guys have come in and it's every year is like somebody had 
between five and there are eight guys on the roster with between five and 600 yards receiving, right? It was just so much spreading the ball around. Um, Eric Drage and then oh, offensive line, 1995. They had three draft picks on that line that year and then two more who were backups on that line. So there's like a total like of you could have filled out that entire offensive line with, with draft picks from who was in that position group that year. Yeah, I, your team's interesting to me. Um, I like those five. I am coming up again here in my draft, um, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I have the back-to-back picks. I hate the, I hate the first pick um, because you have to do this. And so I'm, I'm stuck. I need another running back. I like to have two. I think I might gamble and take James Conner. I don't know. All right, hold on, everybody. I apologize, but this is this is important stuff. And somehow I got DeAndre Hopkins in the third round. I don't know how that happened. But I'm going to take it. Okay. My team, let's talk about the draft that people care about here. My team, golly, you know, high school high school league or high school fantasy drafts with like friends from high school are just it's really interesting. I don't know. It's very strange. That's a rant for another day. Um, I had a strategy. So again, I got the first pick in our all-time BYU offense draft. And I had a strategy that I knew that there were going to be a bunch of quarterbacks. I think conventional wisdom says take the best quarterback available to start your all-time BYU team. You and Jake both went quarterbacks with your first pick. I did not. I, quarterbacks. I, there's so many quarterbacks. You, I can take one of 10 quarterbacks and win games. So I went with a little bit of strategy that I wanted to make sure that because of exactly what you said, that BYU, while they have had some great passing offenses, they really haven't had very many prolific wide receivers. I wanted to shore up that wide receiver with my first pick. So I took Austin Colley with my first pick. And then with my second pick, I can't remember. Did I go tight end? Or did, well, I had the, then I had two back-to-back, so it doesn't really matter. So then my next two picks, I went Austin Colley and Dennis Pitta, and then I went offensive line. And I thought to myself, I am building a team to pass the ball. I've got Colley and I've got Pitta. I need the best pass pro offensive line that I can find. That's 2006. That 2006 offensive line, again, assuming health, that had guys Jake Caressa, Ray Fanga, and Travis Bright, Eddie Keel. There were studs on that line. Nobody went on and had like a crazy long NFL career, but there were six or seven guys in that group in 2006 that could have gone on and had an NFL career. Maybe not been a first-round pick. Obviously, they weren't. But had they wanted to, to go through and fight and stick and scrap it in the, in the NFL and had injuries allowed them, uh, I guess had their health allowed them to do that, they would have had NFL careers. So uh, that 2006 offensive line. And then since you guys both went quarterback running back, my last two picks, I was able to just kind of fill in the need. And somehow I had Jim McMahon in the third round. Well, it was, my th- it was the third quarterback off the board. So with the best pass protection or the best pass pro offensive line in BYU history, the best wide receiver in BYU history, the best receiving tight end in BYU history, I have Jim McMahon throwing them the football. 
And then the last running back, it was like, I could take Curtis Brown. I could take Harvey Unga. I went Ronnie Jenkins because Ronnie Jenkins went for more than 1,300 yards in 1998. And he had like 350 yards receiving that people don't really remember. The dude could catch the ball out of the backfield. I think I have the most exciting offense in the history of BYU football. They're going to throw the ball 70 times a game. And the only, uh, they're not even going to hand it off. The idea of a handoff is going to be like screens. They're just going to use screens to, to Ronnie Jenkins. That's the running play. Everything else, we're just going to push the ball down the field and we're going to win some games. I feel really good about my team. I think, I mean, really when we, we need did more people in our draft to actually make it really competitive because I would, if you took the three teams that we ended up with, it would any of them you'd be like okay yeah fine i take that like i'm not it's, it's true it's really splitting hairs between different strengths that they have it's true you're correct i mean you're absolutely right um we we talked a little bit in our post game show which is something that we're going to do uh we're going to try to do at the end of every game um hop on do a quick podcast just kind of our thoughts on on what the game how the game went what went well, what didn't go well, who stood out, you know, what position groups played well, things like that. And we talked a little bit about um, Chris Jackson in that, in our post-game show after, after the Navy game was over. And I made a remark about how Chris Jackson looks a little bit, I think I said funny, and I feel bad about that because the dude's way faster than I could ever dream of being. But he looks like he runs slow. He's fast, but he looks slow. It's really kind of this interesting thing. When you watched Taysom Hill run, it was like, whoa, Taysom's fast. Like, right. it didn't matter if there was anybody else on the field running with him. Like, the dude looked fast. But with Chris Jackson, I don't know what it is. He just doesn't look fast. He is fast, but he doesn't look fast. And we compared him to Devon Blackman. So, Garrett, I found the clip that I wanted to show. And it's Devon Blackman against Boise State. In what year was that? Was that 2014? 2015. 2015? It would have been the year. Yeah. yeah, okay. That was the Hail Mary year. The Hail Mary year. Okay, 2015. And so 2015 Boise State. Now, I want to, you know, in his defense, Blackman gets behind the defense and the ball is thrown, like, way behind him to the point that he has to stop and catch the ball. But he stops, catches the ball, turns around, still has a ton of green and nobody's around him, and he gets going. He gets caught from behind, and I think that's because somebody had, you know, a 30-yard head start. They were going full speed. I'm not worried about him getting caught. But did he not look slow? He did. He always, like, he was supposed to be a burner when he came in, but it always, like, um, it always, Devon Blackman always looked like he had, there was always a trailer on the hitch that needed to get taken off before yeah. he could really get up to highway speed. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it looks like when I watch Chris Jackson run like against Navy. He's fast. I have no que or no doubt in my mind that the dude can move and that he's going to do some really big things this year for BYU and for the next couple of years at BYU. But I expected him to like you know blow people away with how fast he was and I just didn't see it. It was really surprising to me. I expected I mean, he got a couple of touches. I expected to see him on the jet a little bit more, you know, get a touch that way. And when he got that little bubble, I, you know, expected him to kind of burst up the field and 
really do something with it. And yeah, it just, it kind of looked weird. I don't know if he was still adjusting kind of the speed of, you know, playing at the division one level versus JC ball or what, but it, Chris, I believe in you. I want to see the speed. Show it to me against Army. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And we're going to preview Army. I'm glad you brought up Army. I, I'm sure that if you've listened to us, you know, we're like 30, 40 minutes into the show. Why haven't we talked anything about Army yet? You know, why are we not talking about the next team? We've got next week, we're going to go through all of the details of what everybody needs to know about Army. But for now, we're talking about bye. Like we're beating by. And I think that there's some interesting conversations really to talk about this bye week. Do you think, okay, we know the benefit of what BYU got. BYU was the premier game this weekend. Kirk Herbstreet, uh, you know, it was the, the game day crew. It was the only game on Labor Day night, Monday night football. Absolutely great time slot to be, you know, to have a whole bunch of eyes on you. BYU went out, played lights out awesome right i mean all of that was great the trade-off and tom homo tweeted about this that kind of alluded to it the trade-off was that you could not turn around and play another game on september 12th now why i think that's interesting depending because i mean because monday well it sucks because it was a late game with that you're getting home tuesday morning at 4 a.m right and because it was a late game, so it's, I mean, a lot of teams will play, like, the Monday to Saturday is the same as what you see often of a Saturday to Thursday. But usually if it's Saturday to Thursday, it's like the away team will be coming off a bye, and it's like, or in the home, or both teams will be coming off a bye, or the home team, like, the team will have, whoever the home team is will have played at home the week before, so they don't have to do anything. You know, they'll try to do something like that to kind of even out, or if it's like, you know, if it's a conference game, they'll put both of those teams playing or whoever's traveling, they'll put them at the noon game the week before. So that way they can get home early and then start prep first thing Sunday morning instead of rolling in at 4am. So the number of days wasn't much problem. It was also the, just the timing of it within those days also. Yeah. So, I mean, for uh, you're right. And that's an important clarification, but essentially what happened is it did eliminate the opportunity or I guess, prohibit BYU from having the opportunity of playing this week in this funny season where everybody values flexibility in November because of uncertainty about COVID in September did did BYU cost themselves a game against a name opponent this week because they played on Monday night and is that worth what they did to get that number one or that uh, Monday night time slot with how Monday night went, absolutely not. And also right? it would be like when you, the option is very different than anything. It is nice that army is the follow-up game. If you know, the one that people were pushing for, you know, you know, I kind of jokingly mentioned that it'd be fun to see, but I understand the logic of not doing it, that pushing and having SMU come into town who just had their game against TCU pushed next weekend, going from option to SMU on a short week, to option the following week is brutal and you're setting yourself up to mm-hmm. like you're setting yourself up for failure in a lot of ways. Right. And I agree with that. And then, so anyway, I just think that given that BYU season, I'm a little bit nervous that they lost, uh, that they lost what could have been a very quality game because they wanted 
this really big game on, on, you know, the first game of the year on this Monday night. And that makes me nervous because we've talked about it. We've talked about the scheduling for the last several weeks, and we're going to continue to talk about the scheduling. I, I can't help but feel like BYU's got two more games kind of in the chamber. We, I, I, we've talked about this on the board, and the way that I'm kind of describing these games is I, I think that there are almost agreements that are in place. And I say almost agreements because I think that BYU has, based on what I've heard, BYU has upwards of five or six games that if, it, if, if the other side was ready to sign a contract, they would sign a contract today. Yeah, we talked about this last week a little bit. And you know, yeah. I kind of mentioned what my logic was. And is we, both you and I dug and talked to some people in the know this week and kind of we both confirmed that independent of each other. That there are, like, there's, it's not just, oh, we've talked to this team. It's like, there are term sheets ready. There are term sheets on the table. Yeah. And, and, and I think that the hesitancy, and this is why I bring up this Monday night dilemma with Navy. The hesitancy is that you look at a team like Temple. Temple is a game that has been rumored for uh, ever, right? I mean, it's been rumored for a long time. And Temple is still not practicing. So they've already had to delay some of their games and push them into November. It just feels like BYU should have said, hey, Navy, we want to play. We're willing to gamble that maybe we're not going to get the premier time slot. I think they still would have. I think Navy, BYU, even with whatever else was there on Saturday, still gets the best Saturday time. I wish they would have said, hey, let's play on Saturday, and then BYU could go and try and get some of these games that are playing this week because it seems like, it just seems like based on what we've been told where teams are hesitant to sign this contract, they have term sheets in place. There's these almost agreements, but there's more value in these November flexibility games. It kind of feels like an NBA draft, right? Like you've got a first round pick in 2024. You don't know what that pick is going to be, who it's going to be, where you're going to fall in the draft, but there's some value there with that pick. It feels like these college ADs are kind of valuing that third week in November, the second or the, you know, the first weekend in November, that's their first round pick that they don't know what it is. And it may well end up being nothing, but they're like holding on to that and they won't let go. And I think BYU missed an opportunity to be playing this week when in reality they should be. I, I can see that, especially if we would have played on Saturday. And I don't know. I mean, obviously without the details of the that Navy contract, you know, was that an ESPN decision? And that's right, part of right. what happened, you know, or, you know, was ESPN pay, did ESPN pay a premium for that, you know, where it's, and you had to take the guarantee. And so, it's, you know, maybe we could have taken less. And so it's not, so much of having two games less or whatever, but it's, you know, we only, you know, did they pay a premium on that? Um, and so it kind of, that makes up some of the difference of not playing this game, um, whatever. But it's, yeah, I think it would have been great, obviously, to see another game. I still think once things kind of get settled down um, and into the season, I still think we will see one or two games pop up because um, there's a lot of teams, and it doesn't have to be like teams – you know, going like it can be teams may just straight up skip, cancel a game, right? Like you have, um, you know, Rice, especially like they're having a ton of issues and for whatever, like, I don't understand how, you know, Rice and Houston are in the same city, but Houston's fine and playing, but Rice isn't, even though okay. they have the same issues, right? Like their school is approaching things differently within their conference, whatever. 
but Rice has just pushed Marshall and UAB. And they're saying, well, we don't know. There may not be other dates that line up for both of those schools. So at least one of them is going to have to cancel. So the cancellations are, you know, they may be one-sided, right? Like it was Louisiana Tech and Baylor. You know, that just, that was supposed to happen this weekend. And that just got canceled today because of Louisiana Tech. So but Baylor is still fine to play. There will be games like that that happen. And they will try, I think they'll try to push them sooner rather than later. Um you know, especially kind of later in the year where some of the smaller schools, you know, I would love to see Marshall slide into the 10-3 slot that we have available. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a good matchup. But the, you know, the smaller schools where they say, okay, well, if you're going to, you know, decide, then we're going to, they want it to be done sooner rather than later so they can try to recoup that revenue instead of getting post, right, and getting left out to drive because it's Wednesday and you're canceling a game for Saturday after you've already booked the charter, after you've already done everything else. Um, right. So, yeah, I think we see one to two more games more added. Um, here's I hope so. Eight games just isn't quite satisfying. Yeah, it's not quite satisfying. Um, and But something that is interesting, so if it's, say, November rolls around, right, it's we're coming up the middle of October, UCF is undefeated. They're, you know... UCF is like five and zero. Okay, mm-hmm. they're five and zero, and they're pushing on the top ten, and they're staring down. Actually, let me pull up their schedule to see when they play. I, I know um, where you're going with this, and they're looking at a New Year's a, a New Year's six bid kind of in the bag, and they want to get into the playoff. But now they're looking at playing the rest of an AAC schedule. But BYU is sitting at they maybe get a big win against Houston. And they're sitting at what four, five, and zero at that point, and have a couple yeah. of decent-looking wins. So they're they playing want Georgia, BYU. Yeah. yeah. So they're playing Georgia Tech. So if let's say we go one, two, three, four, five, so they're six and zero. Okay. It is October twenty-fourth. They have just beat Georgia Tech, ECU, Tulsa. They stomped Memphis, which you know that was their first big, big test. Stomp Memphis. Roll through Tulane, who's a decent squad. Now they're coming up on Halloween. The open date where the contract supposedly with BYU that was very close to being signed was on November 7th. They have Tulane is there, you know, they're going into Houston. Basically if they get through Cincinnati in Houston, they will walk into at least an NY six and depending on what else is going on, possibly a playoff game. If and maybe BYU even is, probably right. Right. I mean, I, I'm willing to say that because is, I look at like the, the rest of the P five conferences that are playing and I don't know that there's anybody in the Big 12 not named Oklahoma that really is going to be impressive enough to get into the playoff definitively this year, right? And so unless the SEC – and the SEC's done a really good job of, of protecting the big hogs in their, in their conference, but unless the SEC is able to get two teams in, I think that there is going to be a, an undefeated – AAC team does get into the playoff this year and so yeah I think if you're UCF and you're that's your goal I think you're there because I I just don't see two teams out of the ACC or the Big 12 getting in like the ACC's garbage right I mean it's Clemson and nobody and so yeah I think that that should be UCF's goal and it's an interesting it's an interesting element to the schedule this year that could really benefit BYU and it's a gamble for UCF because I think BYU is good enough this year that they could beat UCF. Right. So if they are in the 12 range, do they say, okay, we will beat BYU and try to 
catapult ourselves up, especially if BYU is like, you know, after Monday? Or do they say, eh, we don't need that, and if we lose, that will take this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity away? It's going to be interesting. It's well, threading it the needle. It depends on what, like, Auburn or Georgia looks like at that point, right? right. Uh, there are a few teams in the SEC that I think could get there. Alabama, obviously. Uh, LSU, everybody keeps talking about how much talent LSU lost, but LSU is – they're loaded still. LSU, if they get decent quarterback play, they could be into the mix. Auburn is going to be really good. Georgia's going to be really good. Uh, and Florida. I mean, a lot of people are talking about Florida being a contender to finally knock off Georgia in the East. So there is a potential there that the SEC gets two teams. And if the SEC is looking at, you know, maybe they have their teams ranked, <laughs> I don't know, their teams are ranked. Uh, Alabama is two. They have, you know, what, three teams in the top five or six then I think UCF has to take the gamble and play BYU. I think you have to at that point without any right. question. Well, and so the American, though, looking at it, they have – I mean, they've gone away from divisions because they only have 11 teams now. So they've gone away from the division this year. So they've played their schedule that UCF, Memphis, and Cincinnati are all playing – Houston are all playing each other. So that top – you know, those top four teams, if you run that table – and especially in style points will matter in terms of coming to whether you, it's, I think the American, obviously the American champion will be the top ranked team. They are going to get the NY six bid. I think of those open extra slots, the, especially with the PAC 12 and the Rose and the big 10, not playing, opening up two more extra at large bids within the NY six that a second team from the American will get in and either no matter what, but if they you go undefeated in the American, one of those three teams with style points and are absolutely stomping, like if UCF or Cincinnati goes out and, and beats Memphis 42 to 10 and then follows it up two weeks later, beating UCF like, you know, 35 to seven, they would go to the playoff. Mm -hmm. I think it, it would take style points though. And so that's where things will get tricky. Um, you know, things will get tricky, and but it will be still, you know, doable. And it would be interesting um, to, you know, it'll be interesting to follow and seeing how they approach that. And, you know, seeing the one team that I would like, you know, would be fun to have seen uh, that doesn't have an opening that will line up is App State. And that's another team that I think a lot of AAC teams wanted to get on the schedule, but just BYU does not have a date that lines up. Um, because they are playing well their only gap is they well yeah they don't have one there's no they get into their conference games and things up and they have a full 12 game schedule already um, but it's I think we do see a couple games added um, we do we'll see a couple more games added they will be fun hopefully everything continues to be as fun as this game was um, but scheduling is, you know, it is what it is. We, we did hear some news out of BYU in terms of the stadium and what that's going to look like. Unfortunately, there's only 6,000 fans. What we had been hearing was that the initial ask was for 6,000 on each side of the stadium and to treat each independent, because this four, obviously the four sides of the stadium are not connected, say, okay, we'll put up a barrier, keep people from crossing over. You can only go in through a gate that's on your side, whatever. We will treat each of them as an independent venue. Can we run with four venues? And the state of Utah said, nope, it's one venue. 
the the cap is six thousand. So sorry if you're listening to this, you're probably not going to be able to go to a game this year without paying a very hefty price for some resold tickets. You know, and my thought on that initially, when I heard six thousand, my thought was exactly that. that they're gonna this is gonna be the legacy people only, right? Who are paying a premium to get in to watch crappy games against Troy. I think these tickets, I think they've already said something like 1,500 of these 6,000 are allocated for students, right? I think that number is what I heard. I mean, you're probably going to have another 1,000 or so that you have earmarked for parents of players. I think, I'm trying to remember, I think each, each player gets two tickets. Is it two or is it four? I it might typically be four. Get, they normally got four, but they probably will only get two this year. Okay, that might be that. That sounds right. It's typically four, could only get two this year. Anyway, uh, yeah, because I mean, you've got your spouse and your parents. Uh, they might still get four this year. I mean, anyway, that that that's to be determined. I could see there really only being an opportunity for three thousand, four thousand tickets to actually be sold probably closer to 3,000, that you've got 1,000 that are kind of spoken for with, um, with uh, parents. You know, what, what I think is an element that we're not really talking about is it 6,000 fans. That's what, that's what we've said, 6,000 people in the stadium. I know that the mandate from the state of Utah, it's 6,000 people. I mean, so that would include your players, your athletic staff, your everybody who's on the rosters, Will oh, really? also be included in that six thousand. That's the way that it's working at the high school level, and obviously oh. BYU and the college game is different than the high school game. But the mandate—that's the only reason I could think that that the state or that BYU would say six thousand is because they're following the state mandate that has been mandated for mass gatherings. So I kind of think that yeah, we're looking at a situation that you're really only going to have three thousand tickets maybe that are available for purchase and you're going to be paying a premium because BYU is going to try to recoup whatever they can. And you know that Ryan Smith, big BYU fan that he is, is going to say, hey, I'll buy 100 of them, and here's my blank check. Just write what you need. Yes. And that's, that's just kind of the reality. So get comfortable watching games on TV, folks, because we're going to be doing a lot of it. I think, you know, it's interesting because obviously for the last few years, I know a lot of people were like, oh, I, didn't, I haven't renewed my season tickets. Like, you know, going to the game is fun, but just like it's so much easier on TV. Like you get better, you know, sight lines and it's easier to go to the bathrooms, whatever. And, but I think after this year, there's going to be a lot of people who like just have knowing, even if you haven't gone to a game in a few years and you usually watch at home, just knowing that the option isn't even there. It'll be interesting to see what happens, whether they'll obviously there'll be some people who'll be like, I actually didn't like, miss going it's easier for me to like watch at home whatever I prefer that but I think there will be some people who have been home watchers for the last few years who just knowing that the option isn't even there will get them driven out like and will try to buy tickets next year and see what the demand is for tickets next year when things open back up yeah yeah I think so too it's gonna sting a little bit not even being able to go my dad he just texted me not too long ago I think it was two three days ago just said okay so are we going to be one of 6,000 people? And it was like, dad, I, we can't like, I don't, I don't think it's happening. So sorry. And it was, we didn't really want to go watch Troy. Like we, we just didn't really want to, but 
anyway, interesting, yeah, interesting component that we've never really had to deal with or think about. And that's across the country. So even at, I know I've been trying to get tickets to the UAB South Alabama game because I'm going to be near Mobile, Alabama the day that game is played and trying, you know, talking to people, trying to, it's 25% capacity for their stadium. And those are even hard to come by. And that's a not very strongly supported Sunbelt team. Right. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what happens. Um, something else that was interesting in the game that I don't – did we talk about this in the post-game show? I don't think that we did. Blake Freeland was wearing number 90. And somebody asked us this week, why was Blake Freeland wearing number 90? He was wearing number Blake 90 Freeland. in the first half. He came in at 71 correct. and later in the game. You are correct. Line. He did have two numbers. And we saw a picture of that. I think it was on his Instagram or on his dad's Twitter. Um where there was in the locker room, he had his two sets uh, of pads. With it was the number. BYU equipment thing, or oh. BYU football <laughs> poster thing that was ready, like of the locker room ready. And it was like, you know, some cat like hype caption, whatever. And within five minutes, Robbie McCombs texted, uh, texted us, zoomed in, That's... took a screenshot, <laughs> being, going full Robbie and noticing every random background detail on a social media post and being Funny. like, hmm, we can see Blake Freeland at tight end. And it was what we thought it was. He, had a jumbo package, but wanted to give him, I mean, you could either bring in a third offensive lineman and he's stuck, or if he's not planning on getting a ton of reps in the first half, whatever you throw on number 90 and he's there, but you don't have to tell the ref. You don't have to, you know, let the ref know that he's not an eligible receiver, whatever. You don't have to do anything weird. You can just throw him out there. And if he wants to slip out for a pass or Jeff Grimes, if you're listening to this, if the former quarterback turned offensive tackle wants to throw a pass. I've seen him throw passes when he was a quarterback. We don't, we don't want that to happen. I mean, we do maybe if it's 55 to three. We do, but, but we, don't, we don't want it regularly. But <laughs> I want to see the tackle eligible, you know, the, the tackle eligible doing some spread out thing, tackle eligible double pass. I mean, why not? Why not have why not have it so that you've got Sol J on the field, you've got Zach on the field. We say Sol J because Jaron Hill he has a hip injury. We've talked about it on the board. I think Mitch Harper's talked about it. Um, he's got a hip injury, guys. Like, and I know that it's being kind of downplayed right now. That hey, he's not ready yet. I would be surprised if he's ready in the near future or maybe even at all this season, just based on what I heard. So in our make-believe Madden play that we're designing here, I am picking um, Sol J, Zach, Blake Freeland, put them all on the field at the same time. You have really three guys who can throw the ball a little bit. And, you know, let's have some fun with it. That would be fun. There's no question about that. That would be fun. And there was another player that a lot of people also asked us about, Cody Epps. We are big fans of Cody Epps. We think he will have a great career. He did not travel with the team. He was a little banged up, and it, you know, they are not running with the full 65 travel roster, you know, this year because of everything going on with COVID. So it's, you know, he was low down the depth chart because whoever thinks it's, I think people believe they look at his high school numbers, they look at that he played at modern day, put up crazy numbers. And they expected him to come in and start right away over guys that have, you know, a little more mature, guys that have been in the system. You know, they expected him to come in and get more time, you know, to take time away from Dax Milne and Gunnar Romney, whatever. And 
that's just not the case. And he needs, he will be good, but he needs, he's still learning things. He's, you know, push comes to shove. He is, despite all of his high school numbers, he was a three-star recruit who did not have any P5 offers when come signing day. And so he's going to take some time to develop. And he was not a step on campus and be ready to take over day one player. Right. And he got dinged up a little bit, you know, this last week of practice and that, that played a role in why he didn't travel. But I, you're, you're spot on. We've talked about it before, but it's worth talking about it again. He's not Jerry Judy. I mean, he's not Julio Jones. He's not going to a, a five-star guy who you expect to come in and play right away. I think he's going to play. He's a very, very good player. And I think he's going to have an impact on this team this year. But I, I don't think it's going to be as drastic as maybe we, we hope that it would be, um, or at least as immediate. So everybody take a deep breath. Cody Epps is okay. He's going to continue to play. I would be surprised if he's not on the field against Army. But that's kind of where things are at right now. Uh, another roster nugget that we didn't get to talk about because it happened after our show last week, Jacob Conover. He is on the roster now. What's cool about what Jacob Conover did, and also Jacob Conover, before I get into what's cool about what he did, you can read into that, folks. Like, he was planning on gray shirting and, and, and enrolling in school in January. And it is not a coincidence that all of a sudden he joined the roster about a week after we started hearing that Jaron Hall's hip was a little bit more serious than we thought. That's not just happen chance guys like that's that is something you can read into that this hall hip injury is more significant than what anybody is is leading on right now but jake conover he walked on BYU's out of scholarships they were out of initials especially uh for those of you who aren't familiar with that term in the past you could oversign and you could you know, there was a 25 scholarship limit per class but you could really sign up to like 30 35 sec teams used to do it all the time that they would sign 35 players and then ask after they signed, ask these players to gracier and then not actually add them to the roster until the semester started as a walk-on or until January. And it was just a way to kind of get funny with the numbers. A couple of years ago, I want to say four years ago, the NCAA said, nope, we're putting a hard cap on and you have 25 initial scholarships. And so what that means is that you can only bring on, you can only add, 25 new scholarships per year so even if BYU was under the 85 which they weren't they were out of initial scholarships Hall's hip comes up it's a bigger deal than what people are are, are leading on they need a quarterback because they don't want to run into a season with just three when one of them is Soljay Mayava who's a, a true freshman well they've got Jacob Conover who came home from his mission early because of the COVID stuff he's just sitting around getting ready to play football well, why not ask him to come and walk on? So he agrees. He walks on. This year, it doesn't count towards his eligibility anyways, thanks to the NCAA's rule because of COVID. So basically, BYU is getting a four-star four quarterback, and it is costing them zero scholarships and zero eligibility. And That's then he a can redshirt next year and then be a redshirt freshman in 2022, his third year with the program. Right. It's going to be crazy. Like it, it's very, uh, it, not only is that a plausible scenario, I think that's a realistic scenario that that's going to happen as I long as Zach stays. So I think it definitely will. And 
you and I kind of talked about this the other day off the air that it's, you know, obviously Conover is not from Utah, but it's like there should never be, I would not be mad if there was never a scholarship athlete from Lone Peak High School or Corner Canyon High School ever again, right? Like it's as members. You, you got to clarify because I know that we've got uh, some Lone Peak listeners that are like, uh, hey, John Henry Daly plays at Lone Peak. Yes, I understand. So, but the, you know, there, what I mean by that is that like as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, especially in Utah, it's, we are, the demographic of members of the church is generally much more affluent than the common American or the, the common household, well above the median. And BYU is freaking dirt cheap, right? So it's like, so if, cheap. If I, as you and I, you know, as you and I are pre-rich, but by the time our children are in college, if one of my kids was old enough, you know, like, I want to get the offer. I want to know it's there. I want to know that it's committable. But then I would say, look, I can foot the bill. It's fine. I can afford the BYU tuition. So let my kid walk on. Go find, you know, go find somebody else who is a good player, but, you know, isn't quite there, whatever, like, Go get the next guy on your list because especially at BYU where walk-ons get treated and get everything the same way that actual players do, right? Like they get still get meals. Like they still get like basically everything is the same for a walk-on. So mm-hmm. if I can afford to give my own kid a scholarship and they don't need to take that whatever, like help the program, right? Like it's kind of like when Sidney Crosby, I don't know how much you follow hockey, like he, not enough to care, but I do know who Sidney Crosby is. Right. Okay. So that kind of underscores the point that he's like, he's one of the top five players, maybe not now because he's a little older, but like one of the best players in the world and could have been the highest paid player in the league when his like was the last up for a thing. So he was born on August 7th, 1987. So that's why he wears 87 because his birthday is 8787. And so he signed a contract with an average value of whatever, 8.7 million a year. And he could have gotten a lot more, but he said, eh, that's plenty for me. Like, I want to leave cap space so we can go build a championship team. If I take everything, then there's, we're not going to be able to win. And so it's like, come on. If, so that's why I say, like, the families, like, if you are, and I jokingly said Lone Peak or Corner Canyon because those are two of the more affluent, probably two of the most affluent high schools in Utah. And obviously there are a ton of BYU athletes that come from there. It's like, if you're one of those families there, or say, hey, like, go get the scholarship on someone else. Like, let's, you know, let my, I'll send my kid as a walk-on, and I know that they earned it, and they'll be treated the same. They know that they earned it, whatever. Like, I'll pay the bill so we can go out and get somebody else in there. I like it. I want it to happen. So here we are. Give them help, Brigham. We are calling all athletes who come from families of affluence. Volunteer to walk on. Please help the team. It's for the greater good, and you'll win more. And if you win more, then the likelihood that really we could put an ROI on this. If you win more and you're a high-quality player, the likelihood that you end up in the NFL is higher. Yes. Therefore, you can think of your walk-on tuition as your investment, the same way everybody else has to when they you know, evaluate what they're going to do with college. Right. This is your investment into your degree to get you into the NFL. Right. And so, well, if, is Jacob Conover, is he technically going to be eligible for the Burlesworth trophy 
given to the top player who and who started their career as a walk-on? Oh man, I think so. I think he's going to be the front runner for that award one day because technically that's exactly what he's done. That's interesting. Yeah. This, uh, this draft, by the way, continues to roll on and we're into like the late rounds now that I'm looking at like rookies and random people. This is the worst part of fantasy football is that last five or six rounds of a draft. You're just going well, but those are the rounds that really make a difference because some random person drafted is going because of injuries going to end up flying up the boards and end up being crazy good, and that's going to decide the winner of the league. It's true. The most important rounds. It's it's true. Well, it's it's a chore to get it done. It um, is absolute chore. The last. So Jacob Conover, he's a walk on. Sorry to to continue on. (laughs) This is a bye week, and I'm doing a draft guys i just took noah fant for crying out loud that's how deep we are into this uh i apologize for the lack of flow as we go from segment to segment that's my fault it's you know it's okay so we talked about Connor. we talked about Epps. the one thing we wanted to touch on is there was a awesome 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 clip that byu tv put out about dax Milne's mom and his family and him they've been doing a series called deep blue i know they've done one about Kairos Tonga that I've seen and a couple other players. So they basically, it's like a five minute clip about like, just about kind of really the deep personal relationship that the athletes have with BYU. We just want to plug those. They're awesome. And they'll, they're very moving. Like it was the one today with Dax Milne, like that made me feel things deep down and they are great. So we just wanted to plug that. And we also wanted to remind you that we publish our podcast on anchor because it is a hosting service and it will put our podcast everywhere for us in one place. The Anchor app is not that good. Please, if you, it shows. Oh, we love us, you, Anchor. Out. Please don't shut us down. Yes, but but there are a lot of other better podcast managers. So you can use Apple Podcasts. You can use Spotify. You can use I use Pocket Casts is the app I use to listen to everything because it syncs between like phone, tablet, computer, and you can use a ton of different stuff. But it tells us that 11% of the people who listen to us are listening using Anchor. So if that's just because you are listening using the link in your browser when we post on 24-7, that's fine, whatever. But if you are downloading the Anchor app specifically just to listen to our one podcast, you don't need to do that. Just want you to be aware. Um, And so we do have some reviews to read, Jeff. We do have some reviews to read. Uh, First off, I tweeted, please follow us at Give em Hell Pod. I tweeted last week that we were going to do a review contest. And we accepted the submissions that were submitted the week before, and then any new submissions for the actual reviews. And we are the judges. This is purely subjective. But I'm going to read to you, Garrett, six reviews. And we will select the one that we like the most. And we will buy a shirt, courtesy of BYU Store. It will be sent to this person. The shirt, you get to choose between two. There's a Nike BYU shirt that I, I, I have selected as one. It's a nice shirt. It's probably one of the nicer T-shirts that, that is sold at the BYU Store. And the other one is Brigham Young riding on a cougar. Those are the only two choices. 
And if you don't choose Brigham Young riding on a cougar, or if you think that that is childish, I assume you are wearing Affliction t-shirts most of the time. That's just what I'm assuming. Maybe that's wrong, or but I assume. Or your 2008 Quest for Perfection shirt. That is or that. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of those two directions. Correct. Navy. All right, Garrett. So you're going to cast our first vote for fa- favorite review. So listen close. First one, Fin Daddy 81 We know Casey well, great friend of the program. It says, good guys that know their stuff. I've known these two guys for a while now. And if you want to know more about BYU athletics, these are the two to listen to. Not to mention, I'm hungry every time I listen. I feel bad because he left that review and then the day after we killed Quarantine Kitchen. But there will be food talk. Okay? That's submission one. Uh, Next, from Dallas 12 Handicap. Loving it. Fun podcast, guys. Love the BYU content. Jeff brings the X's and O's and recruiting, and Garrett brings the stats and business slash economics of college sports. Though you each hold your own in each other's areas of expertise, keep it up. I'll be listening. Okay, the next one is from DJ Dobskison. I don't know. Says, thanks for keeping me company. As a stay-at-home sports-loving mom, I'm loving having Jeff and Garrett keep me company and make me feel like I'm having adult interactions during the day. So please keep giving hot takes and going on rants because I have no problems with it over here. I enjoy every second. The sports content is great, and I love hearing your opinions and views. I've never gone very far into recruiting or stats, but I am enjoying learning all these new things and hearing a fresh view of BYU sports and sports in general. Keep giving them hell. Uh, I love this one. I believe that this is our first publicly on the like, publicly <laughs> on the Apple Podcast review. Uh, our first female listener who's left a review. We have some female listeners who are out there and we appreciate you very, very much. I wish we had more because I think that, I just think that that females in general have been overlooked in sports. There's so many smart women out there with great sports takes. Please listen to this. Let us be the platform that helps build women in sports because it needs to be built. Yes, so 8% of our listeners, according to, are, according to Anchor, are female. 8%. That's a good number. So 8%, let's rise together. Let us help you. Let us know what you need to, to build this women in sports. There's lots of stereotypes. There's lots of just – it's stupid. We want it to be great. We know what people say. We want it to be great. Okay, the next one from Our Beast. The only podcast I consistently listen to this week was a great example of why this is the premier BYU sports podcast. Not only did I quote, learn, unquote, something, something as innocuous as adjusted water intake can radically affect the health and well-being of an otherwise fit athlete on any given day, but I also quote, loved, unquote, something that you can fit an analogy of Piff the Magic Dragon into any conversation. Jeff and Garrett are able to take the technical sports junkie stuff and boil it down into a rich gumbo that both sports gourmet will savor and sports gluttons will devour each week i am gladly pulling up a chair to their buffet this is number one and it's by a long shot the next two better haven't read them yet but it's gonna be hard to beat 
Well, these, the, I think you're going to be really fond of this one. From Phil Atio 27 go Cougs. I've been hearing about this podcast on Twitter for a while now, but only recently decided to start listening. It's been extremely insightful and informative for sure regarding all things BYU football, and I enjoy both Jeff and Garrett's commentary. I can't always tune in, but sometimes my wife's boyfriend lets me listen with the two of them, so it works out because we all share a love for Liberty. I mean, BYU Athletics. Wait, did Jerry Falwell just write this review? Oh, gosh. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. Do we need to explain that? Can you explain uh, explain who Jerry Falwell is and explain what the inside joke here is? So Jerry Falwell is the former president of Liberty University and also a uh, prominent Republican figure who promotes the GOP on many a news station. And he has gotten into some hot water recently, which recently led to his thing because Liberty University has an honor code that is much stricter than BYU's. Like, there is no dancing. Way stricter. For everyone, attendance is mandatory, and you are fine if you don't go to devotional. Extremely strict. Extremely strict. Like, it's a sin, and you'll go to hell if you hold hands before marriage. Strict. And it has recently come out that Brother Falwell and his wife, his wife also has a boyfriend and he knows about it and is okay with it. I think because this is a family show, we'll leave it at that. But they frequently invited the pool boy over for Sunday dinner. We could put it that way. Yeah. Uh, really shocking. It's really weird. Not OBJ um, weird, but weird. The, <laughs> the last one, the OBJ stuff is nuts. If you guys want to get really grossed out, just Google it. I don't even think we can delve into that on this show. Uh, the last one, it's from Questions. It says, I listen to this. This is a five star BYU podcast. It is good. I listen to it when I go get my food and stuff at the food and stuff. I appreciate I ap- the Ron Swanson reference. I could appreciate any time that somebody's able to work in a Parks and Rec reference when they're talking Oh, about this is tough. Podcast. The last three. So the choice I'm, is yours. You cast the first vote. What do you think? I'm going to have to go with – Still, I got to go with Reed. I don't know how to say it. Is it Beast or Beatsy? I mean, we need to ask him how to say his last name. But he he's very interactive with us on our Twitter account, and he I appreciated the depth that he went into with this of, you know, it was, it was very like high fashion quality statements here of, you know, that there was a lot of language. He used the right effect instead of effect. You know, I always appreciate that. And he worked the word innocuous into the middle of a sentence. Like it was, it was not just a good podcast, keep it coming type of thing. It was very, this was thought out. He put a lot of effort into that. And so I'm going to give Reed my vote. Um, I think that that's a good vote. Uh, I I really like Reed. Have you seen his smoker? Yes, that's part it of why I voted that. The most unbelievably awesome smoker that I've ever seen. So, so first, he's part of the Rectech family. I am part of the Rectech family. They're a little bit more expensive than your everyday smoker, but they are the last smoker that you will ever have to buy. They do a a variety of grills. They have a pellet grill. That's what they're famous for. 
They have, I have a cowboy walk from Rec Tech. It's one of my favorite grills that I use. They have a wildfire that Garrett, when you move to Arizona, I think you need to buy as a research before I buy. It is, sorry, not the wildfire. They have a wildfire that's like a Santa Maria grill. That's like a big thing with the, the wheel that you have like a big giant open oh, fire. Yeah. I want one of those. That's not what I think you need to buy. You need to look at their bullseye. It's a pedal, a pedal, a pellet kettle grill. So it has a direct flame, but it is a wood pellet grill. I don't know. I've seen people use them and everybody that I've read has loved them, but I've never, I've never seen any, I've never known anybody who's using it. So yeah, they're totally sold out. You can't even get them right now. Yeah. Well, they refill like every couple of months because they, they get, you know, however many thousand in stock and then they sell out in a couple of weeks, but they do come back every, every about six to eight weeks, they get their next mm-hmm. round of treatments in. It's really good. But anyway, back to Reed. Reed has a Rectech uh, pellet grill and the, the grill has a powder coating on it that's royal blue across the entire lid of the grill. We'll retweet his picture on our on our pod or on our Twitter account, the Give Him Hell Pod Twitter account, and it, it so it's a royal blue powder coating with a Sailor Coog on it. It looks like the coolest smoker you'll ever see in your life. He even has a stretch Y now on the hopper. I think that I agree with you that that review and maybe I'm being swayed by the smoker itself because I'm part of the Rectech family. I think Reed's review is the winner for me. There were some really good ones. And we've had some really good ones over time that might have competed with Reed, but because they were submitted in June and July, they don't count. And I'm very sorry to those individuals. But Reed, congratulations, you won. So I'll get in touch with you, Reed. Uh, We'll figure out where to send what shirt to you. Um, Please keep the reviews coming. It does help. Whether you leave a review uh, and want to come up with something witty. I really enjoy them. It's one of my favorite things that we do at this podcast. If you just want to leave a quick rating and leave a star rating, of course, it's going to be a five-star rating because we only accept five stars around here. Uh, please do that. It does help out the show. This was a this was a, a random assortment of stuff this week. It really was. This was like a variety show. Yeah, I. it was a variety show. I'm surprised we went as... I'm surprised we ended up having this much stuff to talk about. I am too a little bit. And we even skipped one thing that I, I kind of want to talk about and that's crowd noise. And can I just say how much I appreciated that Navy did not pump in or at least ESPN, I guess did not pump in fake crowd noise during the game on Saturday. I don't mind the fake crowd noise when I'm watching basketball or baseball, but I really, really enjoyed being able to hear new sounds like, the calls from offensive linemen, being able to hear all of the, like how excited players would get on the sidelines. That was cool. Like that was really fun to hear the game as the game was happening rather than just hearing fake crowd noise. So thank you to ESPN for that, because that really, I think really went a long ways in making that experience even better. I agree. It was, it kind of goes back to like our very first episode when we talked about the XFL and what they did with, you know, putting more mics on players and being able to hear things. It was really fun to see. And it is just a different environment, but it was, it was just great to watch. 
Yep, it was a lot of fun. This podcast or this episode was a lot of fun. Let's wrap it up with some gambling picks. We got hammered last year or last Destroyed. week. Don't listen. Don't bet your money with us. I mean, I'm going to bet my money with us. But oh, yeah, I would yeah. not recommend but that you bet your money with us. Yeah, there we go. Okay, let's run through these. I think I gave the picks last week. I was kind of the – you were reading off the lines. Uh, so we're going to roll reverse. Maybe we'll switch it up. We're not superstitious, but we are a little stitious here at Just the Give Them Hell Brigham podcast. First line, uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, four and a half, 14 and a half point underdogs against Miami of Florida. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Is Tathan Martell playing quarterback, or is it going to be De'Eric King? It's going to be De'Eric King. Um, you know, I think I think I'm going to go with UAB on this one. Bill Clark is a good coach, and I think they will keep it close. It may be like a backdoor cover, you know, where they come on late and get some a garbage time TD. But I think you know UAB has a good amount of talent, and Bill Clark is runs a good program you know, since they were resurrected from the dead in 2017. And I think they cover. I agree. And I think Miami's a dumpster fire. And so that's part of it. Yeah. That too. Uh, next line, Western Kentucky, our friends, our future friends, Western Kentucky, 11 and a half point dogs at Louisville. Louisville is going to cover that, I think. Yep. I agree. Next one, Clemson is a 31 point favorite against Wake Forest. Um. I think Clemson covers this if Trevor Lawrence plays left-handed. I do too. I think Clemson, Clemson's trying to make a statement this year. Like they've been the subject of a lot of off-season off-season scrutiny, and I think that they are going to make a statement this year. Uh, Duke twenty-point underdogs uh, at Notre Dame. I think I take Notre Dame. Well. I don't know. This one's tough. I want to say Notre Dame because of the talent disparity, but it also is Tommy Reese's first game as the offensive coordinator play calling, or maybe he did their bowl game. Um, I think he but, did their bowl game, but it's so, still first real game, but he had to like game plan and do everything. Is, 20 points is getting to where that limit where it's like, I don't like anyone. And we're going to get to this later in the picks. I don't like anyone with a 20 plus point thing because it's, it's really easy to get up and be up 20 points in the fourth quarter and go in cruise control and then let them kick a field goal and win by 17. I yeah, like I, I, I agree. I, I I think I take Duke here, although I do think Notre Dame's going to be really good this year. Well, I think that Notre Dame has a lot of talent this year. I'm curious to see what Notre playing like a real conference schedule is going to look like. But anyway, okay. The next one is maybe the most appealing line to me because I think this is the biggest overreaction from week one. Uh, Louisiana Monroe is a 16-point underdog against Army. Um, I take Army on that one. Louisiana Monroe is bad. Like, they're FCS bad. Really? Because I don't think Army is nearly as good as their 48-whatever against Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee sucks. I think ULM is just as bad as Middle Tennessee. Wow. That's pretty bad. I think Army actually is going to know things that they can – work on and they're going to like obviously see their tape and just having a game under their belt and being a little less rusty than ULM. I think that makes a difference. I think Army will do it. Okay. Okay. Next one, two uh, future BYU opponents. Uh, UTSA is a seven and a half point dog against Texas state. 
I take Texas State. They came out and played really well against SMU and hung with them for a good part of the game and really surprised some people. And I, UTSA is – they're kind of a hot mess right now, and they are they still are. working on a lot of things and still building. Um, you know, they went – they were bulletable a couple of years ago, and it looked like things were turning around, but they, you know, they still have a long way to go. Uh, Charlotte, this is, I know, this is a hometown. This is, home- I put this on here. <laughs> you did. This is a hometown game for you. Uh, Charlotte, 17 point underdog against Appalachian State. That seems insanely small. 17? No, Charlotte will cover that. No, they will not. Appalachian <laughs> State wins that game by 30 points. Last year, when Charlotte had not. They had not figured out what they were doing. They were still going with a two QB system because things had not been ironed out. It was their second game of their new coach's tenure. They went on the road to Boone and they ended up losing 41 to 56 because App State scored a late touchdown, but it was 49-41. So it's, they will cover, Charlotte will cover and they have most of their offense coming back. And I think they're going to, plus App has a new coach. That is true. And they lost their best running back and their best um, – you see. So not only do they have a new coach, they – come on. This is thrilling, I'm, thrilling content as I'm filling so, the air while you're looking this up. That's yes. my role, and I didn't do anything. So, well, they, so App State, uh, they do bring back a lot of their offense, actually. Um, they lost their running back, but they bring back mo- a lot of the rest of their offense because their quarterback is a third-year starter. Um, and so obviously that means something, but he will be playing in a new system. But they lost a ton of their defense, and their defense was very good last year. So it's – that. Charlotte will cover that. I mean, I don't agree, but you definitely have have more logic behind your reasoning than I do around mine. Last line, UTEP is a 43-point underdog at Texas. This is what we're we're, talking about. We're both taking UTEP. Yeah, because 43 point, like, think of how boring the entire fourth quarter was on Monday night when he was just trying to burn out the clock. It's like 43 points. It's hard to cover 43 points no matter what. The odds are. Now, BYU did it, but yes, it's really hard to cover. That's at 43 points, right? Like, that's not 42. That means that it's more than six touchdowns. Right. That's tough to do. Yeah, that's very tough to do because it's, you got to get six touchdowns and a field goal. Yep. I agree. 43, uh, give me UTEP in that one. This was fun. I mean, it really was kind of a variety show of stuff. We did talk about BYU. I mean, we are on brand still, but this was this was the 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 elevated Give Them Hell Brigham podcast. That we're we're not just giving BYU hell. We are now representing BYU and giving everybody hell. There is no subject that is off limits for us anymore. We are collectively, not you and me, Garrett, the collective listenership of Give Em Hell Brigham. We are the Hellions that are giving the rest of the world hell in the name of BYU. That is us, and we will continue to give them hell.